Hello, listeners. This is episode 62 of the Eclipse Viewer podcast. I'm David Blakesley and Trevor Barrett. Good morning, Trevor. Good morning, David. We are back at it. Here we are. Uh, and this is not the last one. <laughs> we uh, we have another episode on uh, this set coming up sometime in the near future. But we are here to talk about Eclipse Series 46, Ingrid Bergman's Swedish Years. This is the newest set released by this illustrious line of DVD-only uh, showcases for uh, what has primarily been a director-focused series. But this one here is focused on an actor female actor, of course, the Hollywood legend Ingrid Bergman, as we kind of get into her roots in the uh, Swedish film industry of the 1930s. And I was thinking about this. I, I think the Sabu set isn't the other one that's kind of actor-driven. Are there any others that come to your mind, Trevor, that focus on actors Ooh, primarily? I can't think of any, but the Sabu, there are others that don't necessarily go with directors, like the, the Shochiko horror set. Mm-hmm. And then the Katsu Noir, the yeah, right, noir. where it's more like studio themed or yeah. genre based. And the Katsu uh, Noir almost felt like a, um, a a set focused on a particular actor for a little bit, but uh. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sacha Gutri, he's in all of those films, but he's also the director uh-huh. and the writer and the everything else. <laughs> well, and I, I think that's yeah. part of it. Every once in a while, we get a set where the director worked with so many actors and actresses throughout that it it can almost feel that way but yeah they i think they are still primarily I, I can only think of sabu that is a bunch of directors working with the same actor and now mm-hmm. the bergman set yes and of course ingrid bergman is as among the very top the foremost of, of legendary screen performers um I have said in the past, even on one of these podcasts, I think she might be, probably is my favorite female actor, just because of the integration of the roles she played, the classics she was in, and just such an intriguing person. And um, and Criterion almost seems to agree. They've really lavished a lot of attention on her with this set. And this is a big one, too. This is six films. This is... Every bit as uh, girthy on the shelf as the uh, as the Louis Malle set, so uh, they're not tapering down. They they kind of gave her a, a big one here, but of course they had the the documentary um, a couple years ago and the Rossellini Bergman box set, and of course she's been in some other you know uh, celebrated Criterion sets, the the two Hitchcock films, Notorious and Spellbound. And uh, the late uh, collaboration with Ingmar Bergman, Autumn Sonata, and she was in one of those Renoir, uh, uh, was it not, not uh, stage and screen or st- screen and spectacles or something like that, um, which was, that was Elena and her men. So yeah, so Ingrid Bergman is scattered pretty uh, generously throughout the Criterion Collection, and uh, I, I appreciate all those films. I, I appreciate her. And she did a lot of other stuff that's above and beyond Criterion, like, you know, of course, Casablanca and a lot of others. But uh, I don't know, you got a, a, just a basic take on Ingrid Bergman as we kind of get the conversation going? I think you're right as far as Criterion's uh, opinion of her. I know a lot of people were down on them releasing that documentary as a standalone release with its own supplements a few years ago. But I think that just goes to show what what they what they think of her and the importance that she has in film history because that documentary 
yeah, it might be strange that they they did that. It feels like a supplement, but it has its own supplements, you know. <laughs> so so they well, there was more so that they could pack there. in, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and so and I I I've never sat down to think which are my favorite actors actresses. I probably should do that. She would certainly be up there. She's someone that because of something like Casablanca or, or Gaslight, I've known longer than I've known about the Criterion Collection and have always really, really enjoyed her work. And I, I really enjoyed that documentary. It's the first time that I'd really gotten a, a deeper look at her life other than in the Rossellini Bergman set, which focuses on their little interlude together. Um and yeah, she she's just fantastic. I mean, and these these films in this particular set are to me part of that more fascinating story of her life because you see her come on the screen with such vivacity, and it's clear she's going to be a star. And then you look behind the scenes a little bit, and you start to realize that. She knew that too, <laughs> you know. She was she was going for all of this, and you see it just playing out really well for her in as she developed these uh, these these chops to to get in there and, and make directors swoon and want to work for her and want to make vehicles that are directly meant to uh, in, involve her. And so I'm, I'm excited to chat with you, see how, how these, uh, these first three went for you, and, um, and talk more in- Ingrid Bergman. Yeah, well, for sure. And, and uh, I, I've, I will start by saying it is cool to see a new Eclipse series set. It's always kind of a joy for me to open that package and slide out those little slim cases and crack them open, read the liner notes, and just say, yep. This, this cool little subset is continuing on once more. Now, we haven't heard any new announcements. We are all the way up through July as far as what uh, Criterion has revealed. Uh, I frankly wasn't expecting to get two new releases uh, within the, the calendar 2018, uh, the, you know, the first few months. So that was kind of a nice surprise. But now we're sort of left waiting and wondering what else might be in store. But uh, first of all, this is a very handsome set. Uh, I like that yellow and black scheme that they've... Uh, the Bergman they've colors used. now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it's, it's become, right? It's become kind of the official... Uh, the the trademark almost. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed these films. We are going to be splitting the set in two. We're going to talk about Count of the Old uh, old Town, uh, the also the Wolf, Valpurgisnacht, the second film in the set, and Intermezzo, which really was kind of her launching pad for Hollywood, uh, remade uh, soon after uh, that the Swedish version came out in Hollywood by David O. Selznick. And I had a chance to watch that earlier this week, so we'll maybe touch base on that a little bit as well. Uh, we will save the final three films from the set for another episode, which we haven't quite scheduled yet. We're going to kind of take our time, get into those, and see what uh, the rest reveals. But I have not even cracked open those those other three films yet, so um, that'll be a fresh take whenever we get around mm-hmm. to it. Uh, but yeah, I, I really did. I really enjoyed uh, the experience of... of 
revisiting, uh, not not revisiting so much, but but uh, experiencing the earliest stages of Ingrid Bergman's film career. Uh, as you say, I came in as an admirer, uh, but it was really delightful for me just to see her uh, so young and so uh, just full of energy. And you're right, her presence is is already just dominant, um, even though she's really just kind of bit parted in in the first of these films. Uh, you can see her star ascending pretty rapidly. I also watched uh, Swedenhelms, which is a filmstruck title that was, I think, from 1935, uh, in which she also plays a significant part, but she's, I think she's billed fifth in that one, and it does make sense why they would not have included that title in this particular set. There were There are eight of the ten films that she made in Sweden, available on Filmstruck. Um, six of them are in this box. The other two, um, the other one being uh, Just One Night, I believe, is uh, is also not included in the set. So I'll watch that one and maybe have a few things to say about it uh, in the in this follow-up episode. But yeah, do we want to just get into uh, the Count of the Old Town and just take it from there? Well, I guess really quickly, as you're talking about Filmstruck, I didn't get this set yet. <laughs> it's one oh, that okay. I want. So, okay. But all yeah. of these films are available on Filmstruck, which mm-hmm. is just mm-hmm. becoming an absolutely essential uh, streaming service out there. And so, you know, listeners who are sitting down thinking, "Oh man, I I don't have the set yet. Let's let I want, wish I could check these out." You can. You can for, you know, uh, I can't remember how much Filmstruck is a month now. Is it 10? Anyway, not very much. For the Criterion Channel, right? It's pretty affordable. Yeah. There. And uh, all of them are on there, and that's how I'm doing it this particular uh, go around, and it's working out great. Yeah, this this is a this is a pricey set. I think a retail is a seventy bucks. Mm-hmm. So even if you get it at the half price sale, uh, it's going to be thirty in the thirties. You know, so uh, you know that's a significant uh, decision. But I I really do love having the set and the notes and all of that. Um, of course, I got a review copy, so <laughs> full yeah, transparency yeah. here. But but it is a it is a very nice addition, and the uh, you know of course Michael Kresge is no longer writing. Uh, they have a woman writing them now. I don't have her name. I probably should be a little bit more organized there. But she does a very nice job. She's obviously... It's just uh, just to interrupt you, it's Pamela Hutchinson. Yes, Pamela Hutchinson. And yeah, that last name especially should should stick with me as uh, Michael Hutchinson, a good friend <laughs> and contributor in our, our Facebook uh, criterion cult there. Uh, but she does a nice job of, of uh, introducing the set and kind of tracking uh, what was happening with Ingrid before, during, and after the making of these films. So, yeah, uh, definitely listeners can, can you know, join along and, and watch the films uh, along with us if they want to uh, kind of get some familiarity without necessarily purchasing the set. But I, I do certainly want to encourage support for the Eclipse series. I think it's an important line, and it's, it is always good to have these things on disc. Uh, the stream is solid, solid quality, but there is just something just a little extra luminous, even in the DVD presentation. So, all right, so, so preliminaries, any other thoughts just on, the, on the, uh, you know, the early films, or do we just want to get into the count? I'm good to just get into the count. Okay. All right, so The Count of the Old Town, it's kind of like a caper character comedy. Um, I, I really found this film very entertaining, uh, just a, a kind of a cast of semi-zany characters. I mean, it's not 
you know completely bonkers but it's it's definitely a very colorful uh, uh, on location setting uh, an the old one of the old districts which i guess at the time was probably kind of run down and seedy and a little maybe semi-infamous or something that's probably super high rent district of stockholm nowadays you know uh i could imagine but but what you've got is basically a, a cast of characters a bunch of you know older men primarily kind of loafing around uh finding ways to get their daily you know hit of alcohol there and, and uh, there's there's some shenanigans going on with uh, some some uh, robberies some some jewel thieves and bank robberies and uh, things of that sort and there's a little bit of a mystery going on trying to figure out who's who's the culprit here and in the meantime of course there's there's a little love interest as as different strangers are showing up in town and a little bit of romance breaks out involving uh, of course the young ingrid bergman she is a, a woman staying in a hotel and um she's just kind of a young attractive single woman what was the pretext of her being there do you remember that particular detail or why is she just hanging out in this hotel with all these <laughs> I, you know rowdy old eccentrics i feel like she was uh, a helper you know a kind of a housemaid she's in I, I, am i wrong there was she not there no I, I think yeah something like that 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 would probably i can't remember sense. I, she wasn't under the tutelage of a i mean you know she wasn't somebody's daughter but she was certainly quite young i think she was been like 19 or 20 or something when when she filmed this and she yeah. definitely is is almost childlike and and waifish in some ways in fact there her her one of her de- her debut scene is her in a little slip kind of a little negligee which is kind of amazing you just never see ingrid bergman in such a <laughs> cheesecake pose you know but i guess you have to start somewhere well and I, you know to be honest with you so much of this film is about the characters and just yes. watching them interact with each other that the storylines themselves have mm-hmm. kind of drifted away from me a little bit not mm-hmm. not entirely mm-hmm. i mean i i remember the the th- the thievery and i remember the intrigue because guess who uh ingrid bergman's elsa is falling in love with well the man who might be the jewel thief you know yeah, <laughs> at this he, hotel he kind of so, just he shows up out of nowhere the cops sort of spy him as not one of the regulars so they're kind of keeping their eye on him and he's not really forthcoming about where he's from or what he's doing there got that silent he, charm <laughs> oh yeah, he's he's got that little glint in his eye, but uh, you know, even even his uh, kind of ruse to get into the hotel, you know, he just says, "Oh, they're dusting my piano. That's why I happen to be out here." And of course, you know, the cops can smell a fishy story, and of course, the cops themselves are are of the clownish, bumbling sort. So it, there's nobody who's really serious in this movie. There's not much grit or grimness uh, to this particular crime caper. Um, it's it's really pretty much. Pl- up for laughs but the titular character is the count of the old town he's kind of you know even though he's kind of uh you know poor uh, and 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 not a very uh you know accomplished man he he has a bit of a past he has some stories and he's sort of got that bon vivant personality who sort of takes charge of the room and the and the rogues gallery that he likes to hang out with so so that's that's who the count is and and he's uh you know he he's got his own own charm and then there's the uh 
of the other character here, uh, Gherkin. 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 <laughs> named it. <laughs> His crazy little laugh there. But 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 you get the sense, without me knowing much about Swedish film history, that these guys are probably you know familiar uh, character actors to their audience of the day, uh, guys who've probably made their share of funny films, and maybe they've done some serious turns as well. But they do you get that same sense too that these are these are probably beloved character actors uh, out there for a laugh, and uh, you know really just out to entertain the audience and and show them a good time at the movies i it felt that way and yeah i don't know either but you know you have the count running into gherkin for the very first time and it did seem like it was a setup to have the audience go oh excellent you know there there they Mm -hmm. are and there's uh sigurd valen who plays gherkin and who's actually one of the directors of the film as well it just seems like you know, it, it it really does feel like it's a vehicle for all of these older actors, including the woman, uh, Lil Tolly Zellman, uh, who plays uh, Amalia, another one of the, uh, she's a fishmonger. It, it feels like it's for all of these older characters to come out and play. <laughs> and Bergman, mm-hmm. Bergman gets a role, and I think there's an interesting potential backstory to that as well. But apparently it wasn't a very big role, but they expanded it for her. Um, as far as giving her more screen time and a little more intriguing part. And yet, at the same time, she's almost there to be us, these observers. You know, a lot of these pictures, or a lot of the scenes, she's just there watching the rest of them act. And she's delightful to watch them, you know, oh, and to respond right. to them. But she doesn't necessarily always have a whole lot else to do than to just sit and smile at them or or look you know amused or or you know oh come on guys kind of thing uh but yeah it's it's fun but uh i do think it's uh really a lot about these older folks getting together and just having a lark where story gets kind of thrown over um it's much more about just having some fun together yeah, yeah, and yeah, right. She she is there to inject a little bit of youthful energy and color, and then that dazzling smile is definitely on display, um, you know, at, at opportune moments. Um, I, I really liked the, the location shots, you know, the running around these alleys of this old city. I, I think of the little chase scene with the guy dressed in that was that crab costume or something yeah, like that? Yeah. Uh, or, or no, it was like a, a maybe a cockroach or something. I think it was panic. Was some kind of panic? Yes, that yep. was, was being sort of street hawked there. You know, walking up and down as kind of a, a walking <laughs> billboard. That's what they use in <laughs> yeah, order to steal it. the booze. It's, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so yeah, you you got some some little hijinks. You know, passing the bottle while the cop is frisking you down, and and then of course the the bottle winds up in the cop's pocket with, uh, with him unable to pin the crime on anybody and it's just it's not quite the the level of zaniness as a three stooges or abbott costello type of thing but it's it's all it's very much in good fun uh of course there's a it's a comedic ending with uh you know once the uh the the burglar is sussed out and i guess will be spoiler free on that although it's it's not real dramatic but it's <laughs> it's it's kind of in fact you know once you get into these kind of movies it, it's all pretty obvious you can sort of see it coming but uh i, I found it kind of amusing they had to have the little parade as as the everybody ends up getting uh, paired up uh two weddings and an, an engagement <laughs> the, yeah. the apparently getting the young couple married wasn't 
quite proper or something because they they couldn't get married they could only be the newly engaged couple in their little ceremonial like maybe they, maybe they do need to get to know each other a little bit further before we call this a marriage i don't know well <laughs> and it could be just some sensitivity to some bigger issues that i think are underlying the film um the film's production rather the the so the the man who Bergman falls in love with in the film, her name is Elsa. Um, the man that she falls in love with is Aki. Is that how you say it in Swedish? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is is one of the other directors, Edvin Adolfsson. And he's in his 40s, and she's you know not even 20 yet when they're making this film together. And so maybe there's a little bit of, of that going on as well. But the other thing is apparently, in this I, I found uh, looking at the TCM notes on the film, the biographer Donald Spotto says that they were actually romantically involved at the time, Bergman and Adolfson, and that uh, that's part of the reason that she got this role and got such a big role and kind of a little bit of scandal that was underlying it all. Maybe, maybe they just thought, let's just put these two characters together the audience will want that but mm-hmm. let's not step over the line that might uh, show our hand a little bit and and also suggest such a you know a a, a, a woman getting in, involved a young woman getting involved with a man twice her age though though that may not have been such a big deal back then i mean but um, well but it, it may have still been a little bit of the sensitivity since it was actually going on even while she was uh starting out her um her long relationship with uh, Peter Lindstrom. Well, right. She, she was married at the time actually uh, to Peter or uh, no, I guess she wasn't married, but she was in yeah, that not relationship. Uh, Adolfson was married and, and he was 41. I'm looking at the liner notes here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not see, that but... she had a hard time with that and the director. No, well, and, and, and this, this sort of becomes one of those calling cards or one of these, um, kind of reputational things that would would come back to throw complication into Ingrid's life um you know her ambition and her her um her desire to transcend you know the the small time limitations and ordinariness of her current situation and 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 stretch herself into new territories artistically and and even you know in terms of her own lifestyle uh but yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know, like another Bergman uh, known in cinema, there was a lot of heartache and pain and, and even betrayal that, that took place. And, and uh, that's a complicating factor for sure, um, in, as we understand Ingrid Bergman's life story. So yeah, the liner notes say that uh, it's not the most wholesome tale of rising through the ranks and Bergman's publicist would later invent a cover story about the actor auditioning for Svens Film Industries artistic director. So, yeah, even then there was some manipulation and really uh, public relations management going on here. So, yeah, so th- that those are pretty much some of the the standout moments. I, I I found this film really charming and entertaining. It's probably one that I will watch again just for the the laughs and the and the local color, um, but I don't 
I don't really seem to have a whole lot more to say about it, honestly. I have a little bit, but but yeah. just thinking of the local color, it definitely is a film that it doesn't rise to this level, but that reminds me of some of the other great local color films in the collection, you know, especially mm-hmm. yeah. some of these old black and white ones. I mean, even the Marseille trilogy, the the opening of that first film is 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 very similar to a lot of the stuff going on here. It's better, a lot better. It was. It's so. It's. It's just a phenomenal film. But the the idea of walking around the the community and meeting all of these characters. That's that's what this film is all about. And um, you know, some of the what, what's the Jour de Fête, the first uh, Tati uh, feature in in the set that we have, also kind of reminded me of this. Just. A community, and yeah, they they have some things to tie it together, some some events going on, or or you know, in that case, uh, Tati's mailman uh, going around the town and doing crazy things. But you still get to know so many of the local characters that it's just it's a charming place to go back to. It's like going back home and and seeing some of the people that you grew up loving, um, you know. And and I think that this I think this can be that same type of film that it just it just feels comforting to get back into it i actually thought about the shimizu set which i know is one of your yeah, favorites I and mine too. as yeah, well yeah. in terms of kind of that night the world of the 1930s uh, at a time when you know films on location in distinctive urban settings were still I mean, maybe not a rarity, but they they were not the ordinary uh, way of doing things. Especially, yeah, they're notable Hollywood. enough. They pop up, right? Not not particularly, you know, not not infrequently, but they're still infrequent enough that it's still notable when they when they show up on screen. Yeah, and and also just the 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 beauty of the cinematography. This is a this is also a really interesting look at the Swedish film industry. This set. Uh, outside of the you know the Ingr- Ingmar Bergman canon and even the you know Alf Schoberg and a few of the other uh, directors you know the Phantom Carriage some of these classics um, they kind of give you a skewed view that boy if it's a Swedish film it just must be this stunning <laughs> existential masterpiece or like, well you know these are kind of ordinary Swedish movies and Sweden being a pretty small country and and really a film industry that's primarily known for its you know major uh contributors and other than that maybe not a whole lot but this is this is kind of good context for understanding even the background of maybe the kind of films that a young Ingmar Bergman was growing up watching and and it helps his unique filmography sort of stand out all the more uh when you see sort of the environment in which it's you know in which he was brought up so but but these are these are very well done movies i mean they're, they're the transitions the scenery um you know the, the, the you know the character actors it's a solidly produced um you know movie watching experience there uh but really kind of for light lightweight entertainment and i think for that purpose it it succeeds quite admirably Yep, I agree. And I guess the the only other thing I have on this one is it it's often billed as Bergman's uh, feature screen debut and in a way it is because she has a major role in it. 
but the documentary and and I think the liner notes and such, you know, show that she was in another movie, but she was just kind of a face in a in a line of uh, women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, and, right. I think it's just a couple. Seconds yeah, so of it's very time, tiny. Right. Um, but her ambition, her, the 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 fact that she got that first role and then turned it into this one, and then will turn it into the the next ones is is just incredible. And the again going back to the TCM notes on the on the film. It goes. It looks at her diary from when the movie was released. She was very excited uh, to read the the headlines and see what would happen. But it, in fact, she says, I, "I hope that the public will think I can live up to it." And then the following day's entry revealed a bitter disappointment. I'm reading directly from it, and she says, "What did I expect of the critics? Praise? They say Ingrid Bergman doesn't give a strong, any strong impression, impression, and a somewhat overweight copy of that promising young actor, Birgit Tengroth, and hefty, but quite sure of herself. One said a beautiful wow. and statuesque girl, <laughs> for the first time, failure. And so, you know, even though she was getting positive notes, and this led her on to directors saying, I want her in my movie, I'm going to make sure she has a role in it. Um, you know, she felt very down about it, but boy, did she keep on uh, fighting along. And, and yeah, interesting that they're all, uh, you know, a couple of them are noting that she's, I guess, heftier than their normal screen star at the time. But um, but yeah, I mean, she's she's luminescent in it, but <laughs> yeah, it is still a, a first role. So, um, mm-hmm. but she took it hard and she she turned it around well right she was she was not deterred by that that just kind of fired her up to to push even you know more assertively yeah and i guess that's my impression of her i don't know if she was ever like thought i've done it you know even in that documentary she she's her goal is getting to hollywood to get out of the out of sweden and she does it and she doesn't seem satisfied at all. You know, she's, no, she no, wants right. more. And so she goes and does artistic films. She she mm-hmm. essentially uh, ends her marriage in order to chase Rossellini. And even that, you know, you just get the sense that she she wanted to eat it all and there wasn't enough for her. <laughs> but she got it all, but it still wasn't enough. Well, I think that's the thing. She has every bit as that driving artistic ambition that again Ingmar Bergman is well known for and and he chronicles quite extensively in his own writings about just this compulsion to to create films and to you know do what he did on stage on cinema writing uh and he knew that in his relational life in his personal life many people paid quite a price for him to do what he felt called to do and um, yeah, I've certainly been not that all that sparing in my my critique, or at least my acknowledgement that Ingmar Bergman is not exactly a role model for how one might choose to live, um, in terms of you know the pain and anguish that you know he may have created in other people close to him, but he sure did make some amazing films mm-hmm. in that process. So there's that that, that negotiation, that compromise. Um, You've got to acknowledge the cost of all of that. Um, Ingrid Bergman, I think, was driven by a very similar ambition, but her the vehicles available to her and her particular set of skills 
Ing- Ingrid Bergman, I don't think, ever directed films the way that Liev Ullman did. You know, she went on and, and she learned from Ingmar and, and she became a director herself. But but Ingrid, I mean, her, her, her path was about acting. And, of course, another kind of early life anecdote was that her father, who was a very skilled photographer, made her one of his primary subjects, maybe the primary subject. And so she became very accustomed to being photographed. And of course she she was beautiful, but she she worked her face and, and, and her uh, posture and her presence like like the violinist in Intermezzo. She was a master of that. And I think when we talk about how luminous she was or how radiant or vivacious or all the adjectives we describe there, what we're talking about is a woman who, you know, certainly was was physically attractive, but she she knew how to project that kind of just that presence in very subtle and very skillful and very effective ways, and and again, that is what you see kind of coming into fruition here in these early films, and that will continue, I presume, for the next three, and of course her Hollywood career and what she did afterwards is is also very, very well known and very well documented. But here you sort of see her perfecting her craft. Um, but but I guess back to my earlier point, you know, she she wanted to achieve something of artistic significance and kind of a, a, a durability. And I think that's the other one of the things that that stands out and makes her unique to my mind than some of the other female icons um and maybe it's it's a it's a certain form of the male gaze or or she's she epitomizes a certain type of woman that i find extremely attractive i mean uh, there's another big criterion box set for july the marlena Dietrich uh, set coming out of course you've got greta garbo another swede from uh you know who went on to have a pretty uh, memorable and legendary career you've got the hollywood stars the betty davises the um joan crawford's uh Let's see who are some others. Well, then you got the sex pots, the Marilyn Monroe's and uh, Bridget Bardot's and all of that. But Ingrid Bergman just she has a kind of a an intelligence and a poise and a and a beauty that isn't exactly the the standard Hollywood glamour queen at all. But but she's just unique in some way. Uh, it's 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 the brains, it's the presence, it's the it's the intelligent personality, just all these different attributes that. Wow, she's like the complete package, and and her roles, you know, she she never feels like she's, you know, cheapening herself or compromising. Uh, it is interesting to see how she's characterized in these upcoming films here, uh, Valpurgis Night and uh, and Intermezzo, in which she's both both of these films she's involved in, you know, illicit, mm-hmm. potentially scandalous mm-hmm. affairs, and yet she's she retains a degree of virtue even though she is definitely the other woman <laughs> to to uh, to some married women who you know have certain rights and expectations of their husbands i don't know i mean that's my take yeah. on ingrid bergman and and her you know kind of her early life and and kind of how she became a little bit of who she is and i think a very nice transition into valpurgis night if you're ready to go there yeah, let's do it. Uh, you want to kind of give a little uh, snapshot of what's, what this one's about? Oh, well, I didn't really like this one very much. <laughs> well, oh, <laughs> but, you know. But, I'm, but I, I certainly can give a, a snapshot. It's just kind of, a, it's, it's, 
So you're right, both this one and Intermezzo, Bergman plays a woman who comes in a marriage, you know, and uh, the man... Uh, you know, she becomes the 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 man's central focus. She becomes, uh, you know, they they start the central relationship, and we follow her in this particular film with a man named Clary, uh, who, you know, we get why he wants another woman. You know, she his wife is someone who does not want to have children. She wants to have her own life out there. And she's kind of a miserable character, and and he, he's kind of played up as the you know well I just, you know when we were when we were getting married we we always talked about these things I thought that we would we would start a family and and you know I I'm kind of it's almost like he got uh, induced into marriage by fraud, and it's kind of how it's presented here, and so we we don't like his wife Lena. Or um, not Lena. What what is her name? Lena's uh, Bergman's character, Cl- Clary. So Johan is the husband, right? Right. And sorry, Clary is the wife. Right? Sometimes looking at these names just quickly, I'm like, oh. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Johan and um, unhappily wed to Clary or Clary, and Bergman comes in just wanting to be a supportive wife and mother, and and so that's. You know, uh, Clary li- leaves and kind of goes off on her own, uh, and, and it's it's there's a, there's much more grit in this film than in uh, than in uh, the Count of the Old Town. That's for sure. There's a lot more going on. There's a there's uh, issues with uh, abortion. There's um, depression and suicide and all of this stuff going on. And to the extent that when it aired in or played in the United States, they had to cut I think seven minutes of it. Um, because it was just, you know, a little overheated for the United States audience at the time. Mm-hmm. But they, they, it's just kind of an uncomfortable film because it's, it's, it's presented explicitly at the beginning as a moral lesson for Sweden, which is having a very low birth rate at this time and wants to, to kind of teach this lesson of uh, love, marriage, and children. And Bergman, Bergman's character is just to me so not Bergman. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. That that's true. I mean, in in a really almost perverse way, she's playing against type. <laughs> yeah. But 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 you're right. There, there, she's playing a, the moral character. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> there, well, that's the thing. This film comes across as really kind of heavy-handed moralistic propaganda of a sort it, it, it is it's you, propaganda you see, this, yeah. you, you see this lineup of of the opening scene is this lineup of women uh in their baby strollers walking down a promenade and some kind of uh, part of town but the newspaper the 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 baby carriages are 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 filled with newspapers there's there's no babies inside when the overhead shot arrives and it's it's almost like this uh I don't know. It's it's just kind of like this grim uh, satire or manipulation of like you expect to see these you know smiling cherubic little babies being walked by their mothers, but nope, there's no babies to be found. <laughs> They're just selling newspapers, and and the newspapers are all about the declining Swedish birth rate. And if we don't do something about this, we're gonna you know the the, the younger generation is is uh, almost betraying their elders. And it's all for the love of pleasure and 
and frivolity and, and all of that. And then so there's a kind of a scolding, shaming tone that comes through so much of this. And even the way that the character arcs develop is um, very, I don't know, it, it just feels very chauvinistic, patriarchal. Um, I don't want to just say, you know, conservative, because I think you can be conservative without necessarily going to these extremes, yeah. but it, it feels like there's a kind of a, an exhortation or almost, uh, like I said, kind of a shaming for, for people who, for various reasons, don't have children or don't have enough children, um, even though there's a little jab at, at eligible bachelors at the beginning, men who have good jobs and more money than they need to spend and all of that. Um, there's, uh, you know, just kind of this implied pressure that if you're a young woman of childbearing age, you have a duty. <laughs> so, so get to it, lady, you know, and, and, and uh, there's a, that it does it it kind of caused a bit of discomfort so now I, I found the film really interesting in a sort of a cultural analysis way yes uh, maybe like yes. watching some of the world war ii japanese movies it's like well i'm watching you know pro totalitarian propaganda here but sure is fascinating <laughs> to see how they attempted to indoctrinate their people there really was that element of uh of that kind of um coercion going on as i as i watch this movie yeah and and it tries too hard to the expense of any art that it might have accomplished otherwise because even that opening shot it's like oh that's clever and comic it doesn't fit the tone of the rest of the film other than right. because it's so scolding and it does it so fast i mean the the opening shot of the carriages before you know that they're filled with newspapers is really, really short. There's no time for it to develop in your mind and to get any kind right. of expectation before it shifts right to the newspaper. It's like it's trying to backhand you and and get right to it's, its like, somebody's, right. it's, like, it's like somebody's idea that, that they didn't really execute all that mm -hmm. well because there wasn't the time dedicated to setting it up or drawing us in. I didn't really catch it the first time through. I kind of you know, caught it in reading about the film. I was like, oh yeah, let's go back to that. But it is it is... A, a bit of a reveal there and then the introduction to the ingrid bergman her character lena is her writing in a diary pining <laughs> because why can't men understand that i just want to be a good wife who bears them children i mean this is badly so, done I, I'm, I'm, bergman. I'm, I'm i'm overstating it a little bit but no, i don't but think that's you are what she, i think it's what? i honestly my memory of those lines is that extreme yeah. it, and maybe i'm cringy, mem remembering right, it right. incorrectly too but it is basically that and it's it's like a sentence per page because she's writing it so big you know <laughs> so. <laughs> um, and, and and so like i say this this kind of plays into a certain type of i won't call it a male fantasy but maybe a more of a a, a justification from a man's point of view for an unhappy marriage because you know the the burden of guilt here rests entirely on the woman his, his wife clary just wants to be young and carefree and preserve her figure and doesn't want to be weighed down by a child and uh and so you know it's it's it, it, the onus is on her she's the one who won't 
you know, commit to her part of the bargain. He just wants to be a good working husband with his little flock of children gathered around uh, you know, his feet when he comes home from the office each night. Uh, and Lena, the secretary, uh, she finds herself attracted to her boss and falling in love with him. But of course, she has to make the move to say, well, it's time for me to quit. I shouldn't be doing this anymore. My feelings are getting out of line. So It's a great so again, way of announcing pres- that you're up for an affair, I'm guessing. Right. Well, but she's preserving her virtue. You know, she's the one who's willing to move away. And of course, the boss is trying to get at what is she really? Why are you really quitting? You know, he he knows that there's that that attraction, that magnetism there. And he hasn't really acted upon it. You know, he's been doing it the right way himself. But as he recognizes that his own faithless wife is kind of on the verge of walking out on him, Oh, he's preserving his options, you might say, you know. <laughs> and again, um, you know, in a real marriage relationship, uh, it's almost never that one-sided where you've got one spouse who is one one half of the partnership is virtuous and honorable and dedicated and committed, but the other one is just so faithless and fickle and and corrupt that they're they're spoiling the whole thing now in our own justifications if we find ourselves in situations like that we often maybe draw such simplistic conclusions but i i kind of fault films when they present it so heavy-handedly that way and so i i really you know don't really want to get on board with this idea of sacrificing clary uh you know as this uh, you know prototype of of uh, of a wanton female who's just you know after her own pleasures uh, uh almost this is uh, evilly and sadistically thwarting the the you know, honorable desires of her husband you know so so i i kind of felt myself resisting that whole line of argument as as the film unfolds but i still was intrigued uh we we do have some other more positive elements of this film including a a, a very unique performance from Victor Shostrom. Of course, he's probably best known as the star of Wild Strawberries uh, back on, in the late 1950s at the kind of later stages of his life. I think he was up in his 80s at that point. But Shostrom was, of course, a, a kind of a legend of Swedish cinema. He was in The Phantom Carriage, and it's just kind of cool to see him in a role where he's already playing an older man. Uh, he plays Lena's father, uh, who's a newspaper editor, and so he's kind of getting in on this uh, brewing scandal from the perspective of a news hawk and uh, recognizing that his daughter might be implied in this. And so you've got a little intrigue with some mistaken identities and some false assumptions. Uh, what do you think about Victor Shostrom in this? Uh, the best and and also saddest part of the film for me in in a, in a bad way because he, he I, I love Victor Shostrom. I love his old movies. I wish that they would um, come out from Criterion and, and just stellar editions um, beyond The Phantom Carriage, which is, is fantastic. I mean, he's just magnetic. He's easy to watch. He's powerful. And he does such a good job here playing um, Contra uh, Lena, you know, Contra Ingrid Bergman and and her character as the caring father. And yet at the same time, other than Gustav Edgren, the director, and Edgren also wrote the story with uh, Oscar Ridquist, you know, sadly, Shostrom is the primary lecturer in this film as well. At least he's given those lines <laughs> of, yes. you know, kind of teaching and lecturing everybody about 
society and um, womanhood and and motherhood and you know all these kind of moral areas that it's just kind of a shame but at the same time you can see he's got he's he's got the magnetism because uh, he plays the other aspects of this film you know the 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 ambition of a of a, of a newspaper editor to go after a, a scandalous story and the care of a father you know those are things that he plays very well but it's kind of sad that he probably gets more time playing the the lecturer at least those are so have heavily focused on in the film that that's kind of the taste it leaves in my mouth yeah he is the the stamp of authority i think his his uh his fame and celebrity if you will as a highly regarded swedish actor it's kind of like when jimmy stewart gets up on his high horse and kind of tells the audience you know how things should be you know mr smith goes to washington or whatever where it's like okay <laughs> i get the message sir you know and, <laughs> and 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 so i i really do it does feel to me like there's a very uh driven agenda here like they really are trying to you know have a, a positive uptick on the swedish birth rate by by making this film and putting it in front of viewers so and and i do think about well this is 1935 i mean this is you know obviously in, in germany just to the south is the rise of fascism and there is kind of this um moralism uh I, i'm not going to say this is a fascist movie or anything i don't want to overstate the case here but but there is maybe a kind of a rallying cry to you know what we might call today traditional values going on here but it, it and and i i love my family i love raising my children and all of that um there, there's a lot of wonderful things about having families and 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 doing all of those those related activities but when a when a film comes kind of at you hard charging like that it kind of to me undercuts the legitimacy of the cause uh because uh there's just i don't know just kind of this you know unyielding uncompromising attitude this kind of condescension towards the audience that comes comes through in it yeah um well yeah. i mean it's it's not that these issues aren't important to explore right. and and i know that many many of us have to deal with these things as we try to figure out which pathway we want to walk down in our life uh, because you know that they're real but this the, uh, the, the it's insidious this um, this condescension to the point where it, it's it, it is it makes you want to just push against it and almost go against its message, even though that's maybe not right for for many people. But but it, it's it's right. taking yeah, away that... will. I mean, it, it's it's just it's trying to be programmatic in a way that that eliminates. Uh, well, it's it's a it's a mansplaining film, you know. It really is, and and <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, fortunately, later yeah. on, Bergman would go and do Gaslight, where you, you see more of that, and it explores it yep. in such a better way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and, and so, so the way the story unfolds, of course, is that Clary does actually conceive; she does become pregnant, but against. Uh, well, without even disclosing it to her husband, she, you know, as you've kind of alluded to, she she finds uh, uh, a doctor uh, who's willing to give her an abortion, and that becomes kind of the driving scandal here. Uh, it breaks the relationship and then allows the 
you know, the, the affair between Johan and Lena to kind of have that, you know, uh, kind of pedigree of legitimacy now because uh, Johan's wife has betrayed him and you know, killed their child and, and has gotten herself involved in this incredibly tawdry uh, scandal. Well, now he can kind of pursue his thing with Lena and not feel like he's cheating. And, and again, the, the audience is, is presumed to sympathize with that or to find that okay. And, you know, um, life life does occur like that. And so you're right, there, there, this is an adult-themed film. This does portray the types of reversals and turns of events that, that I think, you know, can make for pretty compelling drama. I think if they had just maybe toned down some of the, the, the moralism and the, and the lecturing, uh, you might have a much more complex and intriguing uh film again that's it's intriguing to me just because i am sort of analyzing how the message is delivered but uh and then of course uh there's the whole thing about the missing card b33 and the little scrap that gets torn off and the the blackmail plot that comes up and then this all culminates in clary's uh suicide when the other lover that she's taken on and she's going to go on this exotic trip of a lifetime with this married man who's fallen for her and and she's his new plaything and and he's going to leave the wife and kids behind but then just on the the brink of them taking off uh on this trip he kind of has his own little wake up moment and says no i must return to hearth and home he walks out on her and the next thing you know uh she's written a suicide note confessed to her crimes and that pretty much cleans it all up <laughs> you know so now so now uh, lena's father victor showstrom can bang his forehead and recognize what a fool he's been <laughs> and how could he have ever questioned his virtuous daughter and then there's the next thing you know there's lena holding up the baby that she and johan have had together and all's right with the world it's butterflies and rainbows from there <laughs> so yes. i don't know it was just like okay well happy ending i suppose you know you've got a, a woman dead of suicide you've got you know fractures and relationships between parent and child and you know there's a lot of pain and anguish but it's all sort of washed away because there's a little there's a little baby there's that birth rate going up again and, <laughs> and we've got hope for tomorrow <laughs> you know what's sad about it though is that there are a lot of these kind of false happy endings in hollywood oh but the course, directors course, didn't yeah. believe in them and they they right. it's clear you know i'm thinking for example of something like gilda which is one mm -hmm. of the darkest endings that I can think of, even though it ends, you know, pre, you know, on the on the surface as ostensibly a happy ending. But in this case, the directors believe that this is the happy ending, and it's going to go on to, you know, bliss and perfection. And if only uh, it could all be this way. And that's just kind of uh, kind of disappointing because we're we're used to this stuff but there's a difference when when the film believes that the ending is happy versus when the film knows it's just tacking that on to make some audience members satisfied while the rest of or them are going to, get to leave past, and think oh <laughs> right you pass the code and yeah things. or pass the censorship code or because you you can't let the you know the the illicit lovers or, or the criminals get away with it there has to be that reckoning and and again i know those reckonings are a very satisfying element of so much storytelling but 
when there's an authoritative body that's out there uh, telling you, well, you have to end it that way, it just feels kind of like you've diminished the power of using that device. Or if, if, or if you feel like there's a director's hand or somebody else driving an agenda to kind of, you know, twist your arm into accepting their conclusion, that also feels a little bit uh, just I don't just it's disempowering like you you're not free to draw your own conclusions or to maybe extract a more nuanced message I, I think even in some of the conversation about you know completely unrelated to these films but uh, bowling for Columbine and the work from my work of Michael Moore you know people who I've obviously had many comments so I, I kind of agree with his politics but the way he sells his message doesn't really sit well with mm-hmm. me so uh, you know it's been a while since I've watched any of my Michael Moore movie collection, but uh, I, I, I get their point, and I, I know that it, it can also feel equally condescending when maybe somebody whose politics are a little bit more in sync with yours just wants you to take an extra step further. It's, it's like one of those Facebook messages. If you don't post this, then then you hate all that is good and wholesome <laughs> and moral in this world. Yeah. And then I'm like, fine, right, I'm yeah. not posting it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, so I don't know any any other Valpurgis Knight uh, comments there. I, I we didn't really talk about in- Ingrid Bergman's characterization here because I think it, I think it feels kind of utilitarian. I mean, she <laughs> she does her her thing. I mean, she's every bit as as gorgeous and 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 her 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 expressions, her body language, her um um you know, her, her anguish at, at finding herself in this highly conflicted situation. You know, she, she, she brings all those tools to, to the process here. Maybe it's just the character herself feels a little bit facile. So she does the best she can with what she's got. And I, I'm curious to know how she felt about the film in general. I mean, this is a woman who's going to go on to abandon her own children for her ambitions. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Y- she must have already kind of had some of that in her just based on what we already know of her from that time. And so it feels like, yes, she's very, she's adept at doing what she does. She's an actress. She's going to get in there and perform the role and, and hit the notes and, and, uh, you know, make her marks and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you're right. I didn't even realize we didn't talk about her very much, but I think that's part of why it doesn't, doesn't feel particularly, special right it's a role that she took and it's a it's a prominent role i mean the movie very much relied on her projecting a certain image of of really uh potential maternal fertility you know and and she she is obviously you know she's got that that poise and that attraction uh going on i think you know also just kind of in this whole um you know, statement. You know, she would go on to abandon her children. I think it's it's important to also recognize that you know her mother died when she was very young. Her father died when she was, I think, just like about fourteen, 14 yeah. years old. Right. So she really was an orphan, and and she she did not grow up. I mean, I think she had a very warm relationship with her father, but you know that was taken from her at a pretty pivotal age, and that may be why some of these family ties and sentimentality just didn't hold the same grip on her 
that uh, maybe they would for many other people. And also, you know, as I'm kind of reflecting right now, you know, playing these types of characters where she is the other woman uh, involved in the breaking up of other relationships. I mean, there's kind of a template <laughs> that is being uh, portrayed for her and that she is inhabiting as she's pursuing her craft of acting. And so what, you know, to me and you and others to say, well, I'm going to leave my spouse and go do this other thing. That's like, whoa, I, I don't even think so. That's that's just, I, I can't leave that kind of damage behind me because I care too much about these people and, and, and we just have this thing going on. That's just not how her values or her mind operated. And so, uh, yeah, just a whole different David, life. I think that you've done another exceptional trans- transition. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's well let's let's just say it's a little intermezzo here in our podcast, uh, a little interlude as we uh, step from one to the next. So yeah, let's talk about intermezzo. This really was kind of her first leading role. This was a a a role in a film that was really crafted as a showcase for the rising star of Ingrid Bergman. Uh, it's a, you know, a, the intermezzo is a, I guess, a musical term. I guess it's kind of a short piece, kind of a you know, in-between piece that kind of a, you know, signals a transition. I don't know if there's anything more technical about that. Uh, do, you, do you know much about the meaning of intermezzo or is that pretty much someone it? someone yeah. out there knows a lot more than we do so they'll they'll yes. correct if we don't but just a, a piece between act you know you've got your big movements and then you've got this this little bridge you know the intermezzo it's, it's like a duet really yeah it's a violin with a piano solo accompaniment uh, the piano kind of uh, a little bit muted in the background uh, but it's got its own little lines and its own melodies that it's pursuing here um, it can be viewed as yeah, a transition you, almost to it. it it's a it's a bridge between two larger pieces right and that, okay. that actually so, yeah. you know i hadn't thought about that too much but there i think there's a couple of ways that that can play with the film too so sure sure so so yeah so this film here really is a, it's another you know love triangle of sorts about a very successful violinist uh holger brandt is his name and uh the beginning of the film kind of establishes his characters as he's uh, returning from a triumphant world tour that has taken him away from his home in Sweden for two years. He's played all the big cities of, uh, you know, the civilized nations and made lots of money. His accompanist is an older man named Thomas. He's a piano player. Uh, and Thomas is definitely, you can tell he's up in his upper 60s, maybe early 70s, and he is ready to settle down and enjoy those golden years of life. But Holger is is feeling the prime of it all. Uh, he's still young. He's celebrated. Um, you know, as he's getting off the boat, he has to do the press conference and there's the photographers and the interviewers. And, and you can also tell that he lo- knows how to work a crowd. He's a, he's a real, you know, uh, showman, uh, both on the stage making his music, but also a com- you know, handling the celebrity status that his, his talent has afforded him. And so, you know, he comes back home. You can see he's very prosperous. He's got a beautiful wife. He's got an older son, uh, Thomas, and or no, Ake is his name, and, and he's an engineer, uh, ready for college. He's got a young daughter, Anne-Marie, who is almost just like, you know, the epitome of, of a beautiful, you know, kindergarten age Swedish child. Uh, she's got her own little musical talent. Of course, she's being tutored by... Uh, 
uh, Anita Hoffman, uh, uh, which is the Ingrid Bergman character, uh, who herself is a musical protege under the guidance of another very skilled older man uh, who's teaching her, you know, all the skills of, of piano playing at this high artistic level so so that's the setup so holger brandt is back home uh he's you know reunited with his wife Uh, his wife has his daughter has a birthday party uh he's doing little private recitals for his group of select friends and he's just kind of living the dream there but uh once he recognizes that his accompanist is retiring uh he's in the need for some new talent and there's miss hoffman this uh you know radiant young piano uh phenom who's teaching his daughter and uh she shows the chops that she has what it takes uh, not just on the on the keyboards but the whole package the presence the poise and uh boy for for showbiz purposes you know, replacing a stuffy old man with this, you know, uh, you know, beautiful young woman who's got every bit as much talent. Well, you can only see the upside in that, and so so do the agents, so do the impresarios, uh, and that that kind of sets the stage for where things go from there. Uh, but before I just kind of run through the whole plot, what did you think of Intermezzo, Trevor? I think this is the the landmark film of the set. I haven't seen the next three yet, but I never never heard of them really. <laughs> Maybe I'll be proven mm-hmm. wrong, but um, you know it, this is known as the break breakout role for her, the one that caught the attention of of Hollywood and David L. Selznick in particular, and that really brought her over and gave her that life that she'd been uh, searching for. For a very short period of time, it's not, you know, it's almost like she she worked so hard and furious that she was able to accomplish this within a few years. You know, this is a 1937 film, and mm-hmm. uh, pretty soon she's in, over in Hollywood doing a, 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 a another take, and as well as uh, getting on with her with her Hollywood career, and she's already done it, but. Um, but yeah, I, I, I see it. You know, she has to play that character that everyone believes is that magnetic and that ambitious and that furious and that passionate and and that skilled on the stage to present the face that everyone wants, even while there are difficulties in the background. And, you know, she does it well. And, and the one thing I, I love about this one in, in relation to Valpurgis Night is... It's still dealing with the issues that can can look a little bit uh, quaint, you know. We get the, you know, because not only is Anita better on the stage, but she's just a better travel companion, you know, for Holker as oh, they yeah. go around, and so they fall in love and they have this this uh, very romantic uh, idol in their lives. But there become difficulties with that because uh, you know she feels the pull of her of her ambition, and he feels the pull of his family, um, despite the fact that he has left them for her. You know this is this was a choice. This wasn't just an incidental. Oh, I'm traveling with this person, and now I'm, uh, you know, I've fallen in love much against my will. How do I how do I handle this? You know, he he's he's done this um, uh, deliberately, and yet he feels that pull back. And so, but it, but it deals with these things in a way that I think is, you know, maybe it's a little bit like this is the right thing to do for him, um, but at least it's dealing with things a little bit more 
complicated, you know, and, and, and presenting them with their complications a little bit better than Valpurgis Night. But, uh, but yeah, I really, yeah. really liked this one. Yeah, no, I think I think the way it handles all those complexities is is really excellent because you get the pull of of all of the sort of upsides of the different you know relationships. Um, Holger and his wife uh, in the early stages are genuinely delighted to to be back together again, and he he does enjoy the the comforts of his home and reconnecting with his children. Uh, and and she also recognizes that he's an artist and that he's born to, you know, perform for the world and that you know especially in this kind of pre-internet age or or when jet travel isn't really an option to to play all those places you have to just hit the road and it it takes a long time to get all over the world you can't just you know bop here and there and then have a couple months at home and then go for another you know month or two on the road you know it's it's a world world expedition uh, and she knows that she cannot just tame him and settle him down and yet when it comes time for him to go on tour again she really does want him to sort of make that decision but she can't compel it on him she can't force him to give it up just for the comforts of hearth and home and and so you know you get a sense of of her anguish because she really does love her husband she wants to support him she knows he's got a unique gift that shouldn't just be cooped up and yet she's paying a price to enable that uh and yet now she recognizes that uh this beautiful young woman who's really roughly the same age as his son is their son you know i mean a, a relationship between anita and ake the the son engineer seems a little bit more plausible <laughs> as far as where they are in life than between this married father of two uh who's probably at least twice her age if not older than that uh, and now he's got this, you know, hot young thing that he's going to be, you know, traveling the world with. And supposedly she's just on stage playing the piano. If, 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 if this plan comes to fruition and they'll be saying their separate hotel rooms and all of that. But, but, you know, before it even, you know, gets to that point, he's already told her that he's not the man she thinks he is. Uh, there's the prelude to the breakup scene, but just as in older films, they don't really show you know, sexual activity or other intimacies, they don't actually put you through the anguish of the breakup scene where he tells her he's leaving her and that he's fallen in love with this other woman. It's those that are just some things you just don't show on film back in these days. And and that's one of them. And so, you know, you you, you really sense the, the the hardship and the difficulty and, and even when uh in the in the scenes before uh, uh, Holger breaks up with his wife. There's there's that scene of of him and Anita in this little cafe in a dark corner of the room, and she's she's recognizing that she both is drawn to this man. She loves him. She's beguiled by his talent. Uh, his his you know I mean he's he's a, a larger than life personality, and she finds that all very compelling. And yet. Uh, because he is married, because he's famous and is easily recognized, they have to skulk around and, and find out-of-the-way places. So their their love affair, uh, even in the early stages, is already pretty tarnished. You know, She can't fully give herself over to it, but she can't deny it either. I mean, you know, there's just all these different uh, nuances of, of complicated emotions that I think are very well portrayed, and they do connect, I think, with 
emotions and, and experiences that a lot of viewers can relate to in, in different ways. Um, whatever role maybe closely matches your own place in life or places in life that you've been at, at different points along the way. So that's to me is what makes this film really stand out. And of course the musicality is another highlight. Uh, just, you know, there's some really, there's some gorgeous piano and violin playing going and, on. And did here. you, and I don't, did you see how that came yeah. about? The, the, Go ahead, the Austrian, uh, his, it's an Austrian, um, uh, I don't know if he's a composer or just wrote music, but uh, Heinz Provost uh, actually won a contest to get his music into the film, which okay. I thought was yeah. So this was all originally composed, right? Sure. So, uh, and and it's good. It's it's it is. I mean it, that intermezzo piece that is kind of the opening film soundtrack, and of course it's performed couple times within the context of the movie itself it is very affecting you know with the way he hits those notes and and the the lead actor Gosta Ekman I don't know is he a train he must be a trained violinist because his fingering looked pretty convincing I'm not sure he was actually playing <laughs> live on the camera there but it seemed like his fingers were going where they ought to to hit those notes and the way he moved his bow it's like this guy wasn't just faking it and those are pretty tight close-up so this was not some kind of stand-in type of situation here but uh yeah so so that part was also i i was glad that the 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 theatrical musicality of it all and the performance aspects uh uh, even even ingrid bergman seems to know her way around the piano i mean maybe there was some coaching i don't know what she what she had actually been trained in that but there was a believability to all of this that felt very uh, satisfying to me, especially coming out of Walt Purgis night. Well, and so one of the things that I think is interesting is in the liner notes, uh, she talks about there being an actual, didn't actually say relationship, but that Bergman was kind of falling in love with, uh, with Ghost Ekman. And so that some mm-hmm. of that chemistry is genuine and, plays off very nicely. Now, I'm curious, David, because I have not seen it, does this chemistry also work against Leslie Howard in the remake? Well, you know, Leslie Howard, it's not as, I don't think it's quite as intense. The Intermezzo, the Hollywood remake of Intermezzo is very short. It's only 70 minutes long. I actually got the Kino Lorber Blu-ray that came out, I think, either late last year or maybe even earlier this year. It's a pretty recent release. and There's a commentary track, and there's a few other little small supplements, but it's not really a loaded disc. I still like having it. I, I still could just sort of see myself as a Ing- Ingrid Bergman uh, loyalist. I wouldn't mind collecting more of her works. Of course, I've got the Casablanca box set and a few others. Um, but it, to me, it felt a little bit more... Uh, toned down i mean it's it's fine it's it's glossy it's hollywood uh, I, but uh, the the brevity of the film 70 minutes really surprised me either this was just made as an almost a, a b movie play it safe experiment to see how ingrid bergman would play so they only gave it an hour and 10 minutes or they really wanted to get through the story uh quickly so that the audience wasn't lingering in too much discomfort as this illicit affair unfolded. I don't know. I don't really know what the reasoning was behind trimming 20 minutes out of this out of this version of the story, but there are certainly many almost shot for shot um 
moments, you know, as in the in the Hollywood version. As far so her chemistry with Leslie Howard, I I would think um, it's 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 stronger here. To me, it seems more convincing. I, I'm not a huge Leslie Howard fan. I guess I don't find him that compelling, you know, of a of a character. I think I come on agree. You could do better than that. Yeah. <laughs> but but you know he 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 does he does a credible job. And as far as the you know the the artistically sensitive uh, concerto violinist and all. Well, I guess I'd leave yeah, it that, that yeah. seems to be the the prevailing sentiment that this is the better film, you know, the better mm-hmm. rendition of this film is the original. And I yeah, Ekman I seems it. much more complex character. I mean, you, you can sort of see. You know, he 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 relishes being the big man. You know, the the uh, world-consuming celebrity, the artistic visionary, uh, who's definitely having his cake and eating it too. You know, as he as he pursues this affair with a woman half his age. Uh, you know, he's he, there's a, but but even while he's in the middle of that and and relishing her company and and all the benefits that come with it you also sense that he knows he's grabbing for more than he really ought that that this really can't last uh that he's he's almost a little bit embarrassed or ashamed of himself for letting things go this far you know he enjoys it for the moment but his guilty conscience seems to kick in pretty quickly uh once he starts to sort of take stock of what he's actually doing yeah. here yeah, I, I like it. It, it. it was a it was a, a pleasure to watch. The something that I was a little bit sad about is that you can see it's much more stage bound than you know the Count of the Old Town. Um, oh sure, yeah. but that was that's kind of to be expected. They're traveling Europe, so you, you're not going to get um, on location uh, sets of all of this. But but that that was. The only thing that I was like, oh shoot, <laughs> that's that's too bad. That's <laughs> yeah. different than 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 what we've kind of had in this set already. But it it certainly makes sense. That's where a lot of things were were going anyway. But um, I guess my my final thing, um, and we can keep talking, but um, on intermezzo sure, sure. is just how interestingly tied to Bergman's real life this was. I think we've done this with each of the other movies. <laughs> oh yeah, sure, sure. I mean, yeah. this ends spoiler alert with them breaking up because he needs to go back to his family and she needs to pursue her career. And in a way that's mm-hmm. just a very quick preview of what's coming up for, for Bergman herself, because, you know, and again, I, th- this is why I think that documentary in, in her own words is so important and, and, and such a great release is this is played out so nicely there. And, and there's so much drama in that documentary but Bergman's kind of in a similar position. She needs to, to decide, will she leave what she has in Sweden for the bigger fame and ambition of going to Hollywood, which will require, to some extent, leaving her husband, and by this time, by the time she does it, a child. And mm-hmm. she, we know what she does. And, and Right, right. I and, mean, well, and, gonna say, and because of that documentary, we know how her family felt about it. So, well, of course, I mean, it's like, you know, whatever, um, accomplishments, whatever, you know, uh, trophies or, or fame or honors she might generate over in Hollywood, making these world-class films that will, 
you know, really kind of immortalize her her legend and her youth and her beauty. Um, I, I think that's one of the reasons she wanted to get to Hollywood quickly. I mean, she's she knows she's she's got a unique presence, a poise. Uh, she's extremely photogenic. She wants to be photographed. She wants to be filmed by the best directors in the world, and she knows that as as long as she stays in Sweden, she's in the minor leagues. You know, she's yeah. And and again, these are well done movies. This this is not a film where you feel like boy, that's kind of a cheap knockoff production. It, it feels very you know, very sumptuous, but it's not Hollywood. It's, and you're not working with the best of the best and your films are not getting, you know, a truly global distribution the way they are when they come out of, you know, David O. Selznick, MGM and all the other, you know, Warner brothers and all the other great studios that they had going on. Uh, Ingrid Bergman knows that if she's going to achieve those heights, she has to go you know, where, where the talent is. Um, and all right. So is she content to be, you know, the, the top star in Sweden or does she take it to other places? Can she go to Hollywood and bring her husband and daughter along? No, not really. That's not how Hollywood works either. So very, very deep, uh, uh, hard choices that she had to make and she did. Uh, but that doesn't mean there's not, you know, a trail of tears behind her and, you know, and and that's that's kind of the the uh, the reality that her family uh, had to absorb uh, as they watched their beloved Ingrid go on to, to to do things that she could not do if she stayed in that domestic situation. Yeah, we've talked about this before, but every once in a while you encounter an artist whose life almost seems to be its own complicated work of art mm-hmm. you know I, I can't remember mm-hmm. who we, maybe it was maybe it was Ingmar Bergman where the films are almost aspects of exploring that very life and oh I think so and, yeah. and presenting yeah. you know different uh, perspectives on all of the issues that they themselves are encountering in the in the tangible real world and not just on the the silver screen and she definitely has one of those where and, and I, again, that's why I'll keep on saying that that documentary is is a, a, a definitely deserving of a standalone release because I want to go back and watch it again uh, right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Just because it explores so many of these issues. I mean, she has several of these complications in her life and and the the way they go about it and the way that they talk to the people who were affected by these choices it's it's a profound piece and these movies just they're almost like they're almost like supplements to that <laughs> you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah well you know in intermezzo you know where her character uh, Anita Hoffman gets this scholarship like that's that's the outreach of opportunity that's extended to her that says even though she's already sort of led this one man to break up his own family, <laughs> she's breaking it off with him now. I mean, her agency and her self-determination is kind of, you know, that that's that's where she's placing her priorities. And, uh, you know, for some people, that, that's going to come across as selfish, egocentric, heartless, cruel. But is that because the woman's expected place is to be subservient, to to, to follow orders, to conform to expectations? Uh, however you might want to, you know, 
sifted out, that's just not what Ingrid Bergman was about. She was not about fulfilling somebody else's expectations. Uh, so you know that that you know you know she was a she was a screen goddess. She was admired and 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 revered by a very broad audience. And then when she later on in life decided, you know, I've done the Hollywood thing now, but I want to do something that's happening in European cinema. You know, you know, it's not like she said, oh, I want to go do neorealism now, but she recognized Roberto Rossellini had an artistic, expressive gift that was unique and different than what she was being offered in Hollywood. And as she probably recognized, she's aging out of the Hollywood system um, and the kind of roles that might have gone to her when she was in her 20s. Now, what's next? Well, she she finds a way to continue pursuing her art you know, and I guess we're getting way we're getting ahead of, of ourselves this set here, here. <laughs> <laughs> by 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 some years. But uh, but you know, but you, you, again, this is how intermezzo, I guess, kind of connects to that. Is that she is just always ready to take that next significant stride forward. Um, but yeah, back to intermezzo. I guess you know the you know there there is kind of the the mawkish uh, you know child running in front of a car way of of jolting the 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 husband's you know attention and and uh, I, I I wanted to comment on that just because I recognize how often that you know the, oh no the child's been hit by a car <laughs> how many people have been hit by cars <laughs> as we've gone through the eclipse series <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting i should put together a little uh my criterion list or something like that <laughs> but uh uh, uh naruse and, and other japanese films really seem to rely on that device quite a bit but it's certainly not unique to japanese cinema putting a child out in front of the car to, to, to swing the dramatic turn of events oh well i i'm just glad that we've got another chance to to visit some more of these because this has been a, a fun conversation and the the next i mean all of these were fairly new but i felt like i kind of knew the story because they're leading to hollywood yeah. but i don't know much about these next three films i maybe when i see yeah, them i'll think the next... oh i heard about that once but i i right. other than that i know almost nothing so i haven't watched them i yet. think the next I think the next three really have to do with kind of illustrating Ingrid's uh, dynamic range. I mean, I think there's one in which she's kind of almost like a villain or kind of a heavy. There's another one where her face gets damaged or deformed or something like that. So, so, you know, she, she, she reveals different dimensions of her acting capability. So I'm expecting them to be good, solid films. I, I don't think from intermezzo onward, she's, going to be content just to be a side character as she kind of was in those first two and then i, I also mentioned swedenhelms which is a kind of a quirky family drama it's about the children of this inventor who's uh you know his fortune rests on him winning the nobel prize which of course is always a long shot but he that apparently mine does has. too i'm yeah <laughs> 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 we're just waiting for our name to be Someday. drawn you know so yeah but but apparently he's got some kind of patents or things to his credit that at least make him on the the short list okay. right and so uh, but 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 he uh you know he's got a, a son who's an aviator and another son who's kind of following in his footsteps and and ingrid bergman's role in that film is as a kind of a love interest for the young son who's a, a an airplane pilot and and she's kind of a you know, kind of a classy uh, woman, but she's, you know, is very much a side character. She she makes the most of her short scenes, but I, you know, I don't want to be too, too uh, 
comparative here, but kind of almost like a Royal Tenenbaums type of thing in terms of each of the kids kind of just has their own little oddball personality and, and quirks. Uh, yeah, probably not fair to compare to the Royal Tenenbaums because that's just kind of its own unique thing. But but it, it, it struck me along that line of kind of just the... the uh, not not zany but just it's it's a it's a family drama with some comedic elements uh it it has a happy ending and and ingrid presents herself credibly so if you're really looking to to get the full experience i i'd say it's it's worth a watch it's it's i think 80 minutes pretty hmm. short but uh yeah decent well i just so looking yeah here the three we have you're right the range the mm-hmm. dollar mm-hmm. is says in the little caption a screwball comedy a Woman's Face is a dramatic thriller, and then June Night is a, well, a grim expose of sexual politics and, and essential romance, which features a remarkably intense performance from Bergman. So, uh, yeah. and I And I love intense Ingrid. I mean, you know... Um... Casablanca, the Hitchcock films, Gaslight. Yeah, she she can really crank up the tension there, and really draw you into whatever you know tormented uh, ordeal she's she's experiencing. Uh, not even so much on the physical, but just the emotional wrestling with these heavy decisions and and what's really going on here type of moments. Uh, she has a unique ability to you know draw and hold my attention and uh you know really get me at least feeling a shade of what she's experiencing and expressing so you know i i will i will enjoy uh studying and and uh reveling in the artistic gift of ingrid bergman i'm sure the, the rest of my life you're here you're here <laughs> all right well let's go ahead and wrap up part one of this two-parter here uh, we'll be back in a few weeks with uh, the concluding segment here and we'll see where the eclipse series goes from there okay so any final comments trevor or shall we just wrap i'm good just wrapping it up i'll i'm looking as always just really enjoy these they they always uh i always learn a lot from our conversation so thank you david thank you too trevor nice thanks for listening everybody we'll be back at you pretty soon bye-bye